0: This podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be Crucifying the soul. Let's begin in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in the 7th verse, it says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss, for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. When we think of the gospel story, we automatically think of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. When we think of this, we remember Christ hanging on the cross, saying, It is finished. By this, we understand that his redemptive mission was perfectly fulfilled and executed on the cross. It is now a finished work. We are now forgiven and forever redeemed from the power of sin and death. Within the account of the crucifixion and the resurrection, along with Christ's finished work, we find that we also have a role to play as his servants and as his disciples. This role that we are called to is crucial to our spiritual growth and development. Since Christ is our master and our leader, our role is to follow him, and crucifixion and resurrection are no exception to this rule. Verse 10 of Philippians 3 said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. This verse shows us that we not only need to know about his death and his resurrection, we also need to share in it. He poured out his life on the cross and now we have to pour out our life unto him. We have a role to play in the wake of this. We need to follow him all the way to the cross. And today we're going to be looking at that role that we have to play. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning in the 24th verse, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life, for my sake, shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We find here a very hard command to follow, but we are told to follow nevertheless. A cross was a Roman execution device. The disciples all knew this because they were all Roman citizens. This made the command even more startling to them. Jesus was calling them to follow him to death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German martyr of World War II, once said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This was the charge given to the disciples that day, and it's the same charge given to us today. We are to go with him all the way to death and resurrection. This is one of the most important commands that we find in Scripture and yet it is so often one of the most misunderstood. Throughout history, this command has many times been taken to mean physical death and suffering. It was especially prevalent in the Middle Ages in some monasteries for monks to practice asceticism. They would physically punish and torture themselves so that they could share in Christ's suffering and death. They thought that this would bring them closer to God, but it didn't get them any closer at all. If anything, it brought them further away because they were going about it all wrong. They were trying to get close to God by their own works instead of trusting his grace to be sufficient. In his command, Jesus wasn't calling us to physical death, but he was still calling us to die. In order for us to understand what he really meant, we need to first look at how he created us. When God created mankind, he created him in his likeness and in his image. Since God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He also made man a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. We know that we are made up of these three components. The problem that arises today amongst Christians is that although we have a soul and a spirit, we rarely understand what they are and what their domain is and that they are distinct one from the other. This lack of understanding hinders the spiritual growth and maturity of believers. The soul has three main components, mind, emotion, and volition. These have to do with your intellect, feelings, affection, and decision-making, all of which can exist and operate without the influence of the spirit. Your soul is what makes up your personality. It makes up who you are as a person. The spirit, likewise, is made up of three main components. Those are conscience, intuition, and communion. These have to do with your sense of morality, right and wrong. You're receiving revelation from the Spirit of God, and you're speaking to and hearing from God. Your spirit is your innermost being, your most intimate part, the part of you that connects you with God. Far too many Christians treat the spirit and the soul as if they were the same thing, but we have to understand that they are two very different things. The body is purely natural, And the spirit is the part of us that reaches out into the supernatural. And the soul is the mediator between them. Many Christians, mainly for lack of knowledge, ignore their spirit and in turn make their soul the most important component of their life. The soul can be very deceptive when it comes to spiritual matters. We find Christians who worship, study scripture, talk to God, and have spiritual knowledge but never tap into their spirit. We can do all of these things from our mind and our emotion and volition without ever truly connecting with God in the Spirit. Over time, from lack of use, it can become harder and harder to discern what is done out of the soul and what is done out of the Spirit. This is why it is so important that we sharpen our discernment when we worship and study and pray out of the soul. Although these things are good and honorable in and of themselves, They are originating in the wrong place. When these things originate out of our soul, it puts the focus on self because it's from our mind, based on our feelings, and it's our decision to do them instead of the focus being on God. Things that are spiritual in nature should naturally flow out of our spirit because our spirit is the part of us that was specifically designed to deal with the spiritual. It is good for us to have spiritual knowledge in our mind which is in our soul, but in order for that knowledge to truly be of the most value to us, we have to let it go down into our spirit, where it is transformed into experience. An example of this is speaking in tongues. It is good for us to know about speaking in tongues and to understand how it works, but it is of far more value to us when we allow that knowledge to go into our spirit so that tongues can naturally flow out of our spirit and we can personally experience the gift of tongues firsthand. This all starts with understanding that the spirit and the soul are not the same, but are very different components of our being. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And we find here again the distinction between soul and spirit, that they are different and not at all the same. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The order that we find in this verse is very important spirit, soul, and body. This is God's perfect order of humanity. He places the most importance on spirit and the least importance on the body. The reason this order is so important is because each of these components of our being are always striving against one another to be in full control of our life. God's original design was for our spirit to be in control, and then the soul would take orders from the spirit and the body would execute those orders. Because we are born into our fallen nature because of Adam, the order has become skewed. Now the body wants to be in control and the soul wants to be in control. This causes problems because it's a disruption of order. Some people allow their body to control them. These are the people who fall prey to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Others allow their soul to control them. These are the people who fall into the trap of intellectualism, emotionalism, and legalism, which are wrong because they end in themselves. They are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. When unbelievers allow their body and soul to control them, it suppresses their spirit, and their spirit becomes ineffective from lack of use. This is the opposite of what God intends for them. Our spirit is the part of us that communes with God. When it becomes ineffective, it leads to what we find in Genesis 6-3, where it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. The flesh is the soul and body together. They together strive against the spirit. They form a united front because they don't want a man's spirit to control him. This is why the flesh is the enemy of the spirit. The flesh always wants to maintain or regain control. This is a product of our fallen nature. Before we are born again, we don't use or understand our spirit. Because our spirit has been harmed by our fallen nature, we need a new spirit. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in the 26th verse, it says, A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. When we are born again, our spirit is regenerated and made new. This is so we can operate in conscience, intuition, and communion. Once we are born again, our spirit is able to take control of our life. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within our spirit when we are born again, because it is the innermost and most important part of our being. This is necessary, because when we are saved, we are asking the Lord to come into our lives and take control. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. When the spirit takes control, the body and soul lose control and subsequently want to regain it. That's why the flesh wars against the spirit. The flesh wants to control you. It can attack you, but it can never fully control you as long as the spirit is in charge. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. The change in control is the cause of the warfare within us. Before we're saved, the flesh is in control and does as it pleases. But once we're saved and the spirit is in control, the warfare begins. So we then must ask ourselves, how do we overcome in this warfare? And the answer to this brings us back to our first question about what Jesus meant when he called us to pick up our cross and follow him the answers to these two questions are the same let's go back to matthew chapter 16 in matthew chapter 16 in the 24th verse it says then said jesus unto his disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life For my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In verse 25, we see the concept of saving and losing life. The word life in this verse is the Greek word souchen, which according to Strong's Concordance means breath or the soul. The word souchen is the same word translated as soul. In verse 26, the life being spoken of in verse 25 is the soul, the mind, will, and emotions, and volition. Verse 25 is saying, Whosoever will save his soul shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his soul shall find it. With this understanding of verse 25, talking about losing the soul, it may seem to contradict verse 26, where it seems to say, To keep the soul. But this is because of the meaning of the word lose. In verse 25, lose is the Greek word epilesi, which means to utterly destroy. In verse 26, the word lose is the Greek word zomaioth, which means to damage or suffer loss. There is a big difference in the meanings of these two Greek words. In verse 25, we are told to utterly destroy the soul. And then in verse 26, we are asked, What will it profit if we gain the whole world, but only damage our soul? When you destroy something, it ceases to be. Well, on the other hand, when you damage something, it remains. God is saying that we shouldn't keep or even damage the soul. We should utterly destroy it. He is saying, what do you profit if you gain the world, but don't give your soul over entirely to the Lord? The Lord looks for nothing less than complete surrender. When we are told to deny ourselves and take up our cross, he is telling us that we need to crucify our soul. Jesus did this too. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus, says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. This is how we die to self and how we die daily. This doesn't mean that we lose our personality or what makes us who we are as people, it means we put our personality, our mind, emotion, and will under subjection to the Holy Spirit. When we give ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit, He doesn't destroy our personality. He refines it and brings out the best in it. The soul is the self. We need to take the focus off of self and put it on God. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He learned the secret of the crucifying of the soul. When we crucify our soul, we share in Christ's crucifixion. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul crucified his soul. He put all that he was under subjection to the God who lived in him and through him. That's why he said that he lives, but it's not he himself. It's the God that is in him, who refined and cultivated his personality. He allowed his soul, his self, to die so that God could have all of him, which is why God was able to use him in such a way as he did. Matthew chapter 27 Verses 50 and 51 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The veil being torn symbolized that the presence of God, which had previously only been in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, can now be everywhere. It also showed that no longer would the high priest have to go in once a year and mediate between us and God. Now Jesus Christ is our high priest, who mediates between us and God. The temple was designed to have three main parts, the outer court, the most holy place where they worshipped, and the holy of holies where the high priest spoke to God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God designed us like he designed the temple. Our body is like the outer court. Our soul is like the most holy place. And our spirit is like the Holy of Holies. This is why when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he dwells within our spirit. When we crucify the soul, similar to when Christ was crucified, the veil between the flesh and the spirit within us is torn. And the Holy Spirit can then truly fill us and take control of our whole being. This is being filled with the Spirit. This is how we share in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We are forever forgiven and redeemed. Christ's crucifixion was and is a finished work. The crucifixion of our soul, however, is an active work, something that we need to do in our own lives, so that the Spirit can truly take control. When we allow the Spirit to take charge and have our whole being, it allows us to succeed in our spiritual warfare against the flesh, because the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the next time that we are meditating on the resurrection of our Lord and the victory that was won for us on Calvary, let's remember that we are called to take up our cross and to share in his crucifixion. It is when we give up all that we are to Him that we find who we really are, all that we long for, and all that we desire in Him. The only place that we will ever find our true identity and who we are in our innermost being is at the cross, where the Lord who handcrafted us before the foundation of the world gave up everything for our sakes. Today, with all of this in mind, let's make the choice to give all of ourselves to him who gave all of himself for us. Let's follow our Lord and Savior all the way to Calvary and crucify our souls today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord God, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you designed us like your holy temple, that you put your spirit within us, within our spirit, the holy of holies. Lord, we thank you that we can speak to and hear freely from you, Lord God, that you designed us to have these distinct and special parts of our lives. Lord, we thank you for our soul, for our mind and will and emotions, Lord God. Refine them, cultivate them. Take all that we are as a person, our soul and our spirit, and refine them and make us who you want us to be in your will and in accordance with your plan for our lives. Lord, we thank you for our body and our soul and our spirit, and we give them all to you, Lord God. Today, we make that decision to crucify our soul, our self-life, and give it all to you, and we surrender all to you in worship and love and adoration. Lord, we thank you, we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to share in Christ's crucifixion and crucify your soul, and if you want to have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We wanna thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you would like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about this program and its ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study The kings were together.